God is so good. Come on, wasn't worship incredible? I'm like, let's not end. I just could stay in worship. I got something during worship. I'm gonna, this isn't my notes, so we'll see what goes here. Let's turn to Romans 8, 26. 8, yeah, 8 verse 26 in the Passion Translation. Make sure it's the Passion Translation. Because it's passionate. Are we passionate? Come on. It's going to take a little bit to get used to this thing on my head. I start here. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times, you don't even know how to pray. Have you ever been there? Or know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises us up within us to supersede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs deep for words. Too deep for words. That's what Jeremy was talking about. Those groans. Come on, right? Come on. It says, God, the searchers of the heart. He searches your heart. Isn't that awesome? We're going to get into a little more, but I'm going to show you today that God actually believes in you incredibly. Knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones. It's talking about us. Holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing God into our lives. Come on, God has a plan for you. Come on, there's people in this room right now that are confused. They're saying, God, I'm not understanding where I'm at. I'm prophetically speaking over you right now. He knows where you're at. He's not worried about what you've done. He's still on the throne. He's, he's actually not even worried about your needs. He cares for your needs, but he's not worried about your needs. Because like Willis said, he owns a, a cattle on a thousand hills, but he also turns water into wine. He can create things out of nothing. So even if the thousand cows, cows get eaten up, he'll just make some more. That's just on one hill. Come on. And he's not just talking about money. Come on, he's abundant in every area. You want joy, get some more joy. Come on, you want some more love, he'll release abundance of love. Because he cares. Those are needs we need. We have emotional needs too, right? Oh, perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his destined, his designed purpose. You guys, you matter. We got to stop. We have to stop. Oh, I can't, I can't jump too fast into my message here, but... We have to realize that you actually matter, that God, you're not just, I'm big into this. We're not just little peons running around. It's not like God's playing up there SimCity. Do you remember SimCity, that game? If you don't, it's like a video game and you make cities and all these people run around and you're controlling them. He's not operating like that. He chose actually to say, you guys get to do things. <laughs> Thank the Lord, that's good. For he knew, he knew all about us before we were born. Yes, he knew about you. That's because he made you. He took time. He took time to make you. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. Come on, this means the son is the oldest. That's Jesus among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. Come on, he makes us righteous. He makes us righteous. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he is glorified with his son. Come on. Whew. God is good. I just want to encourage some people in the room. I've ever met you before. Samuel, right on. If you understand, I just want to, I just want to declare over you something I, I saw during worship. I just see such a, like an evangelistic spirit on you. And I just want to declare over you because I actually saw that you are like been in a season like David where you've been told, you might have even been anointed, people's things have been spoken to you inside, in, the Lord's spoken to you, but others too, but it feels like things just haven't happened. And it's like right now I see you, and you're like in the back country with those sheep, and God just wants to demonstrate his power because you're, about, you have, you're called to greatness, and because there's a burning in you, and you're like, you know God is big, and you're looking, and I'm saying he's going to answer those. There's some questions you're asking right now, and this is part of the answer. You are called to greatness. And those, those thoughts and those things that God's spoken to you, and you're like, ah, can that really be true? It's true. Because you know what? You're going to kill giants. You're a giant slayer. And then there's going to be progressions. You're going to learn. 
To be, because you're learning to be a king, because, oh, I just seeing now, I just see there's going to be a blessing even when you're older, just a financial blessing in resources and business and entrepreneurial, and just, yeah, you're going to be one that he can trust with his resources. Come on, Jesus. Thank Jesus. Come on. Because mm. God's good. It's just, you know, we're a house that believes in the true prophetic, and that is words of encouragement, exhortation, and comfort. We don't speak... Um, negative things. I hate it sometimes when you give, I don't like the feeling when you give a word to somebody and everyone's like, oh, if they give me a bad word. And it's not going to happen. No, we don't believe in that, right? But what I just read, he made us. He destined us to greatness. He destined us for good. Okay, I'm going to jump in. Oh, wow. God is good. I got a lot to say. Brent is off hunting, guys. He actually is doing something other than ministering, he probably is ministering up there too, but because that's just who he is. We do everything out of lifestyle. We don't, we're not just titles, right? I haven't heard if he caught anything. He's so far up there, we don't have any reception. So pray for Sharon, because last year, if you've heard the stories, there literally was a bear wandering around, like they saw it. It was like rumbling, and Justin couldn't, he's with his son Justin. He's actually with Donna's relative, is her, uh, her uncle and her, her cousin. So it's pretty cool. Pray they kill a moose so we can eat some moose meat. Not being selfish. Okay, let's jump in here. I really feel that so often we have perceptions, right? How you were raised. We talked about the last time I preached about core values. But one thing that changes your core values dramatically is how you see Jesus. And a lot of times, we don't realize that we have just become so familiar with the way we see Jesus, and it's, he's not always that way. You get what I'm saying? And sometimes just situations in life, and the problem is, is that a lot of the world doesn't get to see the real Jesus. So, it, what, I keep on feeling the sense of like, so what Jesus are you hanging out with? Because when you hang out with Jesus that I find in the Word, my friend, he changes you. He changes you. He gives you a love for people. He changes you from the inside if you let him. I like, uh, I think it was Chris Bolton or something. Somebody said the other day, he said, um, a lot of the church knows enough about Jesus that they're actually harmful. And, that, and what he's saying is sometimes we, we only know one side of Jesus and we portray him to the world. And that's why we have some evangelists out there just saying, you're going to hell. When really Jesus wants to say, hey, come to me. Right? And we're learning. We're learning. I'm not bashing the church. We don't do that either. We love the church. We love his body. But let's talk about what Jesus came to do when he came to this earth. We, who knows we're living in the new covenant? I'm going to give a big key right here. You can change new covenant to covenant of relationship. That's the big switch. And it was always intended to be that way. If you read in Genesis 3.8, this is actually when Adam and Eve fell, so it's not the greatest point, but when they had fallen, it says that he came in the cool of the day. They heard, they heard the father walking in the garden. You, in chapter 2, you, you have God bringing Adam the animals to name. He wanted to co-labor. He had friendship before the fall, right? There was nothing between man and God. He, he, he made us with the purpose to love him. I always want to make sure we get this point because if we think he made us to run around and do stuff for him, that's not what it was. He made us to sit at his feet. That's his original plan. It's relationship. All that comes out of just out of relationship because you want to share your friend. It doesn't come out of a bunch of you need to do this. It's out of relationship. And I'll tell you because in the Old Testament, we have, they have a culture that was built from that point on that brought a separation between man and God. If you look in Genesis uh, 18, verse 16 to 19 here. It says, look at when Moses wanted to connect with the people. Actually, hold on. That was my notes. One second. Verse 18 actually says this. I'm like, wow, that's really clear what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> do you want to throw that up there? Exodus 20, 2018. Yeah, we're jumping to Exodus. Sorry, guys. Um, not sure why. But... Um, 
It says, now all people witness the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, the sounds of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, this is the Israelites saw this, they trembled and stood afar and they said to Moses, you speak with us. Oh, it's not even up there. Praise God. They're working on it. Um, Exodus 18. I'm on verse 19 right now. Oh, we'll go slower then. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And most of the people do not fear, for God has come to test you, and his fear may be, uh, may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. See, Moses understood that God actually loves him. But there was, our, there was such a mindset already in that culture, in the Hebrew culture, that the Israelites... The Israelis, they, they felt that they, that they couldn't come to God. Because in their mindset, God is, he's, he's all just wrath. He's all, and Moses is like, no, I'm a friend. Okay. So now we jump to Exodus 32, verse 7. This is a definition of in the Old Testament where somebody like Moses can be, be a friend. And the Lord said to Moses, go, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They made themselves a molded calf and, I, and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, Israel, that they brought out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Now I may, no, this, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is stiff-necked people. Now I may consume them and I'll make you a great nation. Well, that's a pretty good thing for Moses, eh? Imagine you're in that spot. See, I'm going to keep reading here, but I, I felt like when I was studying this this week, it's like we often preach this going, this is an awesome setup where we actually see Moses change the heart of God. But what, let's look at a little, let's just, this is just uh, something I felt. And let's, this, who knows what theology is, right? It's man's interpretation. Man's interpretation, not absolute interpretation. So I'm just going to mess with it a bit. What if he actually was having this conversation with Moses because he knew it was in Moses' heart? What if he knew that in, he was calling out to Moses to show him, you actually care for these people? You've actually answered my call. I raised up a leader. I called a deliverer, and I know you're a deliverer, so I'm going to just I'm gonna push you a little bit. Do you know you're a deliverer? Come on. He didn't. This is, oh, wow. In some ways, this is more of a deliverance, which has happened here. Because we always say Moses is the great deliverer. Almost greater than when he took them out of Egypt. Come on, the, the Egyptians weren't going to just kill them. God's about to destroy them. And what does he say? Now, uh, consume them, da, 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 Lord. Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out of out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham. Come on, remember your promises. These are keys right here when you're talking to the Lord. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, all the land that I have spoken, and I give your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. What if... What if Moses, this is, this is good for a lot of, this is, have you ever got to start getting like a big head thinking that it's about that you're doing everything? I'm just throwing another, maybe, I'm just curious, maybe Moses was like getting a little like, hey, I'm, I'm the man, these are my people, but look what he's saying, he's like, no, 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 they're your people, and you love them, and God's calling that out of Moses. Sometimes I feel like God's, he just pushes a bit, right? He wants to know, what's your heart? I know your heart. Do you know your heart? I think we fight. We always we do a lot of teaching about how the battle's in here. The enemy's defeated. It's between, now the battle's here. If he can convince you of lies that are against the truth of the word, that's the only time he has any power. Okay. Then we got Abraham. This can keep this... Uh, this is Numbers 14, 11 to 25. And then men rose. This, this is where um, Abraham intercedes for, for Sodom. Sodom's going to be destroyed, right? Then, the, and then men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them away. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? 
Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed with him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that, that, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. This is God, guys, wanting relationship. He's about to do a huge thing, and he's talking to his, his kid. He wants that relationship. See, he didn't change. God never changed. So now we jump all, let's jump all the way into the New Testament here. Jesus comes. And this is where it's so fun. If you ever want to change something, in your, uh, this is one of the keys in my life. If you want to get more hungry, jump into, just take the Gospels and just start reading them. But read them and say, God, open my eyes. Take off the glasses that I've been reading them all this time, put them over there, and just read them again. Because the Jesus is fun. See, so often, and I, we all, I do it too, it's so much easier, oh, I'm going to go read Paul's writing, because that's like revelatory, that's all, but Paul's just talking about Jesus. He's just talking about Jesus, and sometimes like we, we go, oh, that's too basic. Oh, I know, I know every story in the Gospels. Oh, go read it again. I challenge you. Go read it again, because I feel like we're in a season where Jesus wants to show up as the person of Jesus. You know, there's the, the Trinity. It's like sometimes the Holy Spirit will just come. But you know what the Holy Spirit's job is? Talk about Jesus. He always brings us back to Jesus. And what does Jesus always bring us back to? The Father. Because they're not in a battle. They, don't, they have an identity. Wait a moment. And our identity's in him. Lord, give me wisdom. This is about three messages, so I'm just trying to, what's today? I always like the push. Because I want to be up here. I'm just a willing vessel, right? But I know he's good, and I know he's our friend. So I'm just like, God, what do you want to share today? Come on. So guys, get praying for me. Thank you, Jesus. No, for real. That's your guys' job, too. So let's jump to Mark 5, 25, 34. I want to I look at Jesus in this passage. We're going to look at this, this passage a little different. Again, do it in um, the Passion Translation. You'll hear me say a lot of the Passion Translation just because it's just another translation, but it's fun to read in different translations because you see things different. And what I love about the Passion Translation that Mr. Uh, Brian Simmons is putting together, still is, it's not all fully complete, is that he purposely makes sure we see the passion of God in it. That's why it's called the Passion Translation. Actually, if you guys, it's kind of cool. We have a relationship with that guy. Brent knew Brian before he wrote the translation. And he actually gave him a prophetic word about writing a translation. So you can ask him. It's pretty cool. So Mark 20, come on, we do, there's lots of things going on. So Mark 5, 25, verse 34, 5, yeah, 34. Now in the crowd, that day there was a woman who suffered horribly from continually bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors. Yet in spite of spending all that she had on their treatments, she was not getting better, but worse. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed the crowd and kept, came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if I could only touch his clothes, I now will be healed. And as soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that somebody had touched him, and for, for he felt the power that, had always, that always surged around him. That's cool. I just reread that. I didn't even pick that up before. Always surged around him. See, I like that translation. Come on, that's what we get to live in. We can live in the same stuff. And pass through him for somebody to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd saying, who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd looking for the one who had touched him for healing. When the woman who had experienced this miracle realized that had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear and threw herself down at his feet saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what had just happened. And Jesus said to you, her daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and free from your suffering. Okay, the miracle, incredible. That's a whole nother teaching. There's a whole nother teaching going after miracle. But we're looking how Jesus related to her. First of all, he could have just kept on moving. And you say, wow, that could have been easier. It looked like she was scared. No, no, Jesus has a purpose. So he, you have to understand in that culture right now, that woman 
was supposed to be outside. She's not, she is unclean. Anybody that she touches has to become unclean. She has been rejected for years and years. The, 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 the physical illness could, is not even probably as bad as the natural emotional. Think of her. She was rejected. But what did he do? He stopped and said, hey, who touched me? He already knew. He says, let's come to me. Come to me. And the first thing he says, he calls her daughter. Like you have to understand. We have to picture because we read the Bible the way we read it all over, over and over again. And we know the story. We know what happened. But we, don't, we have to realize what was going on in the culture. First of all, Jesus was known as a rabbi, a teacher. Women weren't allowed to talk to him. The Sadducees and Pharisees did not like him at all. And now he's doing all this work, and he calls her out, and he's like, who touched me? And she, first of all, he calls her daughter. But then he says this. This is huge. And she told him, and she told him her story in front of everybody. Why is this so important? Because now everyone knows her situation, but the key is, the biggest part is, is that then Jesus says what? Go with peace in your heart and, you, and be free from your sufferings. He just declared over his daughter that she is healed. Everyone believed the words of Jesus in that group. If he wouldn't have stopped and said, Let me, let's talk, let's tell, they still wouldn't have known. She was still rejected, but he said, no, 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 no. I love you. I'm going to restore you. I'm not just going to heal you physically. I'm going to do what it takes to restore you in all your community right now. He testified of her goodness. He testified of what just happened. It wasn't just a miracle for her. It was a miracle that brought her back into family. Because that's what constant Jesus wants to do. He wants to bring us back into relationship. Not just with him, but with family. We were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant. We want to be transformed to look like him. Everything, Jesus, I love Bill Johnson's um, quote, Jesus is perfect theology. You can't mess with that. If Jesus did it, you're a fair game. Right? If Jesus did it, you're a fair game. <sighs> Jesus was constantly teaching to, to the people about that his father won in relationship and that they could be friends. We're going to jump here because I'm running out of time. I'm going to continue another time, but uh, uh, I really want to hit something today. But Luke 7, 34, yet when the Son of Man came and went to feast and drank wine, you said, look at this man. He's nothing but a glutton and drunkard. He spends all his times with tax collectors and others. The New King James Version says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at a glutton and a wine bitter, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He declared this over himself. You guys, he's, he's actually speaking into their culture. He goes, the Son of Man is here to eat and drink, to hang out, not just to, to separate. You, like, we don't even, I think, realize how, if you study church history, how long it's only been where we're actually being taught freely that you guys can go home and read the word for yourself. Like, this has been, a, this is, if the devil can keep the separation and make the person up here more holy than everyone else, if they can put that mindset that these people are greater than somebody else, it brings a disconnect. It's not true. Jesus is the son of man. He is the son of God, and he's coming to connect. He's coming and saying, I want to be your friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man, who, he's talking about Jesus, who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He wants to be closer than a brother. He wants true relationship. He wants to know how your day was. For real. He wants to know how you're doing. What's going on in your life? Does he already know? Yes, because he's God. But he actually wants relationship. He wants you to say, come and sit down with him. Come and be with him. I love this. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, He took away from our natural realm and he fastened our gaze unto Jesus who birthed faith within us and he leads us forward into faith of perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now it sits exalted, he sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. He was full of joy. 
You guys, he didn't just come here. Like, we have to realize it wasn't like, oh, my people screwed up, so I guess I have to go down there. He was excited. He had joy to go to the cross. You guys, he went to the cross with joy because of you. Because he's like, I want you to come and sit and eat with me. I want them to know that you can come straight to me, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to break, to get back those keys so you can realize you can freely come. Boldly we can come before the throne. Boldly, because Jesus knew his citizenship. We talked about before the, the, the cattle. See, Jesus didn't call things out of nothing because he's not really calling it out of nothing. He's calling it from heaven down to earth. Because, and, and we need to realize that as believers, our citizenship is not here. It's there. So when things come, it doesn't rock you because you're like, no, I can grab the other economy here. Come on, doesn't, oh, that's a whole other message. Better be careful. Come on, come on. I'm going to jump here. This is where I'm really excited about. We're going to way down here. We, I want to talk about Peter. I love Peter. So we're going to go Matthew 16, 13 to 28. I'm going to talk, we're going to show you Peter today about how much God is good and how Jesus was a friend of Peter's. And I, if anything I get across today is that Jesus actually wants to know, knows you better than you know yourself. And he actually believes in you more than you believe in yourself. So we're going to start at uh, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are the people saying about me? The son of man. Who do they believe I am? They answered, some are convinced you are John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah, reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to know Again, this is about relationship. Come on, some of you, when God asks you some questions, don't talk about the person, the other person. Wow, this person did this, so this is where I'm at. No, no, he's asking you. He wants personal. And Peter said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon. I just love that. We've talked about that before, but you are favored and privileged. So if anyone in this room declares Jesus as the anointed one, that he can speak that over you. Let's just let Jesus speak that to you. You are favored. Your eyes have been opened. Because only God says, Son of God, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven was supernaturally revealed it to you. If you haven't experienced anything supernaturally before and you're saved in this room, you can't say that anymore. You have, you have had a supernatural encounter that allowed you to open up your eyes to see Jesus. Whew. I give you the name Peter, Stone, which is awesome. He speaks all this awesome stuff over Peter here and this. Truth of whom I am will be bedrock, foundation of which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. I love that, that definition of the church right there. And the power of death, not able to overcome it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth what is which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth which is released in heaven. Man, that's our promise. We get those. Those keys are ours. And he then gave his disciples strict orders not to tell anyone that he was the anointed one. From then on, Jesus began clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer injustice from the elders, leading priests and religious order scholars. He also explained that he would be killed after, and three days later be raised from, to life again. Peter took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, Master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, what we love to quote all the time, get out of my way, you Satan. You are offensive to me. Come on, this is Peter that he just told he's going to build a rock, right? But we have to understand, when you, when you, when you study the scriptures, you, he's speaking to a mindset. He's speaking and saying, you're not listening to your true citizenship. You are listening to man's idea. You're, you're thinking in terms of just this, this short time on earth. You're not listening to how heaven is speaking. See, Jesus knows. Heaven is saying, yes, it sucks going to the cross. We know that because he said straight up. He tried to get out of it if he could. But he said, I know what's greater. I know what is, uh, what's heaven is saying. But that's got to suck for Peter, right? That's probably why he just told him, like, Peter, you're awesome. Builds him up, brings him up. No, but, but the thing is, is they're friends. You have to recognize that this is written out of friendship here. These guys aren't just, oh, yeah, they met today. This isn't, we have to be careful because we go around and it's probably not smart to be like on the street and like get in a, in a discussion with somebody and be like, get behind me, Satan. If they're, you have no relationship. 
we don't see much, but I'm sure Peter talked to him later. He's like, whoa, Jesus, that was pretty intense. And, and I bet you they talked. They were like, hey, like, no, Peter, you're not thinking right. I'm trying to explain to you here. I'm here for a purpose. You think it's good. Now you're watching me. I'm about to go get some keys that are going to rock your world. And then he goes, guess what? You're going to do greater things than me because I got keys to give you. Like, that's what he, he's hanging out with these disciples. You have, oh. you have to understand that Jesus cared about people, cared about friendships. Something I was looking into the last couple of weeks is how often we go to these questions and we say, uh, we get this question, they're not often, you get this, but have you ever been asked, what if you were new, you had three days to live? You had three days, what would you do? Well, I'll tell you what I've said for years. Oh, I'd just go save the world. I'd go tell everybody. And then I get convicted. I'm like, why are you not doing that 24-7? But that was my idea. And then I was processing because I was reading in all about Jesus and I looked at Jesus and he knew where he was going. What did he do? He had a crazy big ministry. He went out, huge ministry. He could gather crowds better than anybody. But what did he do days before he goes to the cross? He goes and hangs out with his friends, those who are closest to him. Why? Because he knows what investment is about. He knows that relationship. I told Willis, I said, when you, talk, when you study Jesus, because Willis and Lynn are just, we love it too, but they're huge into life groups. I said, pretty much, I'm looking and I'm like, I laughed the other day. I'm like, this could be a life group message. Because that's what it's about, true discipleship, where you actually care and you actually have relationship. It's not discipleship just so you can walk around and say, so-and-so is discipling me, but there's no relationship. Jesus had intimate relationship with these guys. You got John, there's a scripture that says he laid his head upon the chest of Jesus. The word yada is actually the word. Go study. It's incredible. It's incredible intimacy. Incredible intimacy with these guys. He actually cared. And he actually knew that these guys were going to change the world because he believed in them. I love TJ Green spoke a few weeks ago. These guys were young guys. You have to realize these guys were like late teenagers. Like, but he believed that they were going to, he put everything into them. You guys, he only had so much time and he spent that much time in close relationship. We should, we should look at that and say, whoa. Not that we can't touch the world. But you know how much more if you can multiply. That's why here we believe so much and we touch the world, but we also believe in bringing up a family. That everyone's going out. That we're all touching. We're all his hands and his feet. Okay. And then the great stuff here goes. Then Jesus said to disciples, I'm going to have to find out when he tells Peter that he's going to fail him. Where is that? Oh, here it is. We're going to jump down to verse 31 of Luke 22. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan is determined to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you. We skipped that pretty fast. Did you hear what he just said? I, but I have prayed for you. We have such an intercessor in, in praying for us in heaven. But again, if we're supposed to look like Jesus, who, when you hear somebody's going through a hard time, how much are you actually interceding for them? Come on, how many times, we're a prophetic church, how many times do you feel somebody's a little off? Are you running to the next person to tell that person, hey, did you, I just feel that somebody's off. This or are you getting in your secret place and fighting for them? And then you get to, you know what happens when you pray for people? You get to hear Jesus' heart for them. And then you find out that God really loves them. Come on, he came to save the world. You know how much he even loves those who don't know him yet? A ton, the same as much as he loves you. He calls them all the sons and daughters. He wants them all. They just need to have the revelation of knowing him. Oh, man. We have to be willing to, to look at Jesus again. Jesus wants to reveal himself as happy. He wants to reveal himself as somebody you can come to. He's not coming to you going, what, you screwed up? He's like, no, come. Come, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And I, something I'm going to keep on pushing here, but that you have Jesus constantly is looking into your heart and pulling up who you really are. Because he believes in you more than you believe in yourself. You guys, we have awesome people going out on the streets. I've heard a testimony from our group, and then I've been talking to some other evangelists right now. You know how people are getting saved? This has happened in Aldergrove. Not in Africa, in Aldergrove. Just a few weeks ago with some of our team. I forget who it was. But they literally, they're at the bus stop. This guy comes out. And they start sharing, do you, have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? He goes, no, I'm an atheist. 
And that person just looked and didn't even really process this. They looked at him and says, well, you can always change your mind. And the guy looks at her and he's like, I guess I could. And guess who got saved within the next little while that day? It's literally, and then I told that to my friend in Alberta, who's an evangelist, and he says, that's strange. We're hearing stuff like that all over the place right now. There's an openness. Because I, I, people like me have grown up in the church, we sometimes forget that people actually don't know who Jesus is. I heard a statement the other day that, I know it's true, I checked, is that, you know how many, the Muslims want to know Jesus too. Because you know Why? In their, in their Quran, it actually talks all about our prophet. It actually says our God is the same God. The problem is, is that they actually don't say anything about forgiveness. They have no way. They're just, they're just hoping they have mercy at the end. They haven't met Jesus. Jesus brings forgiveness. They're not saved. They need to know Jesus. And they're getting saved. When you get to share that God, hey, these, they're lost, you guys. You talk to other people, you go, wow, they believe in that, they're hardcore. You really start getting relationship with them, you find out they're confused. They're, everyone wants love. And they go and they're studying and they're trying to please their so-called God and it just doesn't seem to work. And they're hungry for truth, but no one's giving them truth. Because we have to give them a message of love and hope. Okay, so, oh boy, where am I again? Um, pure da 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 da. Before, okay, but the Lord said, replied, I'm ready to stand with you to every end, even if it means prison to death. So Peter says to Jesus, Jesus looked at him, prophesied, before the rooster crows this morning, you will deny three times that even know me. Then he said to them all, then I, to all of them, when I sent you out empty handed, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they answered. Okay, I'm going to jump because um, it's a boat. So you guys picture this. He's already been told. And your friend just told you you're going to reject him, and you're like, no, I'm not. Because his heart really wasn't to reject Jesus. So now we go over to verse 54. And you got Jesus has been captured. And you got the religious leaders seized Jesus and led him away. But Peter followed him from a safe distance. They brought him to the home of the high priest where people were already gathered out in the courtyard. Somebody had built a fire, so Peter inched closer and sat down among them to stay warm. And a girl noticed Peter sitting in the firelight, staring at him. She pointed him out and said, this man is one of Jesus' disciples. Peter flatly denied it, saying, what are you talking about, girl? I don't know him. A little later, somebody else spotted Peter and said, I recognize you. You're one of his. I know it. Peter again said, I'm not one of his disciples. After an hour later, somebody else identified Peter and insisted that he was a disciple of Jesus, saying, look at him. He is from Galilee, just like Jesus. I know he's one of them. But Peter had adamantly listened. I don't know him you're talking about. Don't you understand? I don't even know him. While the words were still in his mouth, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord, who was being led to the courtyard, Jesus. you got to picture this. Jesus is getting, he, first you have to realize who Jesus is. He's the king. He literally, in that moment, could look around and could have saw heaven just be like, man, you had, I, love, I want to see it someday. I want to know what the angels, we know the angels would have just blown open everything. They're probably, what are you doing? These guys are literally peons. Just destroy them. And Jesus is looking, and his, one of his closest friends just rejected him. You guys, Peter rejected him, and it says right here, he turned around and gazed at Peter. Oh, that would hurt, eh? Well, you, got, you have to picture where Peter is now. He's at the lowest of low. I don't think there's, like, honestly, I can't say, I don't believe there's anybody in this room that could say they were ever done something that low and, and have anything that they can say that holds them back more than that right there. And once Peter remembers words and prophesied over him before the rooster crows in the morning, and he will deny him three times, they don't even know me, Peter burst into tears and ran off to the crowd and wept vividly. This is key, because Peter is sorry. He screwed up. Who hasn't screwed up before? Come on. So you got Peter screwed up. Oh, this, I'm gonna, this is going to be good. Here you go. So you got Peter screwed up. You got Jesus. He goes to the cross. There's a bunch in there. And then he goes down to get the keys. But what happens in between? He comes up. And then we read this verse. I love this. Mark 16, verse 5 to 7. And so they go to the tomb. And they, 
And as they stepped into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right, dressed in a long white robe. The women were startled and amazed. But the angel said this, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He isn't here. He's been victoriously. Look, see that place where he laid him? Run and tell his disciples. Hold on, I need this chair. Yeah, and then what's the next word? Even Peter. You guys, you have to understand that why it's in Scripture. I believe it's there. It's because you've got the guy that just rejected Jesus. You know what it feels like when you screw up? He feels separated. He feels like he's nobody. Can, he can, he's like the disciples all know. He's a mess. But imagine what would have happened. Let's just picture what would have happened. In the, so Jesus comes back with the keys, and he talks to the angel. Hey, angel, I've got a, a job for you. Come over here. You're going to tell my disciples that I have victoriously won, and I'm going to come for you. But hold on. I've got to make sure you know something. Make sure you tell Peter. Because right now, Peter doesn't know his identity. He doesn't see it. He doesn't know it. You guys, that's what Jesus is constantly doing for us. He wants to constantly say, he knows you by name. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And he, Jesus knew that. And he's going, you know what? I just, oh, I just felt like this. He was like, God was like, he's like, Kevin, Peter didn't even have the keys yet. He didn't know. See, I prophesied greatness over Peter. I said he was going to build my church on that guy. But I also said he's going to have keys to do it. It's just the enemy just wants to waste. He's just trying to confuse him. He doesn't yet realize who he is. I've been putting and speaking to him. I've been discipling, but he's going to learn. And what do we see? Because it does. This is so cool. Ah. So verse John 21, verse 3, it says that Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. So often when we get down, what do we do? We go find plan B again. Come on, we've all done it. So often it's like, you know, Elisha's, uh, Elisha's story, Elijah comes, he kills the fatted calves. I always picture, I'm like, oh, because I've been there. I'm like, where's those fattened calves? Let's go bring them back. How do we bring them back? Do you get that? No, you guys aren't laughing. You miss Elijah. <laughs> when Elisha followed Elisha, he killed the fattened calves that he was using to, to the oxen. Sorry, the oxen. That's why you're missing. He killed the oxen so that he could not go backwards which is key. That's a whole big teaching. You kill the plan B. But what does he do? He goes back to what he knows. He says, let's go fishing. And he, then they all follow him. So now, this is the big one right here. You, uh, Jeremy, you want to get up? We're going we're gonna to finish with this. Jeremy's going to play a song when we're ready here over us. This blew my mind. I did about a month and a half ago when I caught this revelation. Um, and somebody was sharing about it. This is, I want you to catch something today that I've never seen in Scripture before. So Jesus comes on John 21, verse 15. He says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? So he, what happens, he comes out, calls the disciples out on the boat. They come. Peter dives in. He literally just comes. And so now he's in this discussion. This is the first time he's seen, this is when, this is his first, what we can see is discussion between Jesus after he just screwed up. No, no, majorly. Like that word, like he rejected the king of kings and lord of lords. We're going to read about it in history. That's how bad it is, man. You, at least your stuff isn't in history book, right? And he speaks to him. And there's a whole teaching on, on, on the words of love here, but that's not even what I want to get to. He said to him, yes, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again, a second of Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? See, what was happening here isn't even, Jesus knew the answer. But he knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. And he knows that Peter thinks he's going to fail. What happens when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And what's Peter's mind saying? I loved you, but I loved you before. I loved you, and I totally rejected you. I loved you, and I failed you. And Jesus is saying again, no, you, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yes, I love you. And he's like, I know you love me, but do you know it? Jesus reminds, he's calling out your heart. But that's not even the best part, and I've never saw this before. 
He does this and he goes this. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most surely I say to you, when you were younger, you gird yourself up, walked where you wish. But when you're old, you will stretch your ha- out your hands and another will gird you and carry you before you do not wish. This he spoke signifying the death he would glorify God with. See, we read that, but we don't realize what just, said, what just happened there. I missed it for all my life. Why did Jesus tell Peter why he died, was, how he was going to die? Why? You're like, well, that doesn't make, who cares? No, it matters. Because he's sitting there, Jesus pounding him, you love me. He's sitting there disillusioned going, I screwed up. I can't make it. I don't know if I'm going to finish. Jesus, if you go, I don't know. He's fighting like all us humans do. The enemy's like, you can't make it. You're just going to screw up again. And Jesus is prophesying over him, Peter, you're not just going to die. You're going to die going all out. So you don't realize he's prophesying. He is speaking. Peter, you're going to go all out. You can't miss this right now. He is telling Peter how he's going to die for a purpose. Because he's saying, Peter... You are not going to fail me. You are not, in everything in you right now, says you're not capable of doing what I've called you to do. But you actually are, and you're not going to just go out. You're going to go out with a bang. Come on, sir, church, church history actually says that when Peter was asked how he wanted to die, it said he wouldn't even, he said, I do not feel myself worthy to die like Jesus on the cross, so put me on the cross upside down. Peter made it. But, I, but how many times we need, we need to realize that Jesus is for you. That there's nothing, you, you can't deny, that you, there's nothing that can be worse than you've done in your life than what Peter has done. And Jesus believed in him. He didn't just believe in him, he said, you're going all out. You're not, gonna, you're not just going to make it, you're going to make it, and you're going to do it all, Peter. You guys, he answered everything in, that, in Peter's heart right there. And there's a big key after that, it says, whoa, Peter's like, whoa, but what about John? Guess what Jesus said, right? don't worry about John, worry about yourself. I'm speaking to you. Take it for you. So today I just really felt he's going to play over us. Just give me Jesus. I just want to open up. I just really kept on feeling this week that there's people in this room that have allowed things in their past, things that they've done, to allow the enemy to lie for them, to disqualify them for what they've been called to do in life. And I specifically felt there's just an invitation today I felt like I could have seen Jesus at the front here. And it's like, if you just want to come on up, you don't have to. You can do it where your seats are, but I just want to come up. And when I'm not going to pray for you. Jesus wants to meet you. I just feel like if you want to come up right now, because there's people right now that are saying, I don't know if I can do it. I failed before. I've been there in the past. I was fired up. I gave it all. And then now look where I am. I'm not where I should be. But he's saying, I believe in you more than you could even imagine. There's nothing that can separate you from what your calling is. If you will just believe in me. He's crying out. I see him at the, on the boat. He's like, hey, I'm here. Come on. You run off to plan B, but I'm here to tell you plan B is not worth it. Come. So let's just stand or come up front. Jeremy's going to sing this over us. Our heart today is, Lord, give us eyes to see you, Jesus. To believe again. To go further again. There's people in this room that he's crying out. He's telling that angel, say, tell so-and-so, I'm coming for him. I'm coming for him.
Give me Jesus. 